Loving your enemies, I, I sort of see as when I read the Bible, it's almost like the PhD of be, being a Christian and how difficult it is to truly love your enemies. And it, it really is, a, a, to me, a supernatural, because it's, it's not natural to be able to love those who hate you, for instance. Right? It's not something that comes naturally. It really has to be a supernatural thing. Welcome to Grace and 30 on WERALP, Arlington 96.7 FM. This is Ed Mellick, and I'll be your host for the program tonight. At age 25, Steve Park started tutoring kids in his parents' taekwondo studio in a low-income D.C. neighborhood. 25 years later, that humble enterprise has grown into Little Lights, a nonprofit serving the youth and families in the Potomac Gardens, Hopkins, and Benning Terrace public housing complexes of Southeast D.C., where families of four struggle to survive on annual incomes that average twelve to $14,000. When I spoke to Steve back in 2016, Little Lights employed 13 full-time and 40 part-time staff, many of whom live in the communities they serve. They utilized 120 volunteers, and they were the number one job provider in the low-income D.C. housing community. Steve joins us to update us on their work and, more importantly, to share the joy that comes from empowering underserved people through practical assistance, racial reconciliation, and the love of Jesus Christ. Steve, welcome back to Grace and 30. Hi, it's good to be back, Ed. Thanks for having me. So 25 years of, of doing this. Congratulations. That's a long Thank time. Thank you. Thank you. I was posting a heads up to people about you appearing on Twitter and on okay. LinkedIn. And I used that picture of you with the kids from okay. 25 years ago. <laughs> and you and I have changed quite a bit since then. Yes, um, indeed. You're well aware that there's no shortage of violence and poverty and despair in the neighborhoods you work in. But uh -huh. there are the kids and the parents that you work with and you describe uh, so joyfully. Tell us what it's like to serve in conditions that present uh, you with such extremes. Um, I mean, it's, it's something I've been doing for a long time. And, you know, the, the optics are, can be very glaring. Uh, so, like, for instance, at, at Potomac Gardens and Hopkins, which is located in Capitol Hill, D.C., uh, it's actually only about 12 blocks from the U.S. Capitol building. And so and that neighborhood has, uh, has gentrified, and so you have townhouses, across the street from the public housing that are going for a million dollars plus. Uh, so there's a big juxtaposition there. But, you know, our, our families, you know, have experienced violence. There has been violence in the community. Um, but but it's, it's, it's uh, still rather uncommon. It's not like, you know, every single day there's violence. Um, sometimes it does spike, but, you know, most of the time... Uh, and I feel very safe walking through Potomac Gardens and Hopkins uh, the vast majority of the time, uh, even, at, even at nighttime. And so even though there, there has been incidences of violence, um, I also don't want to give it a, give it a picture that it's, it's always some, some sort of dangerous uh, neighborhood to, to walk into. Um, and, so, and usually, you know, when there is violence, it's, it's, uh, it's people that know each other, it's, it's targeted. Um, and so, yes, there's violence, but there's also a lot of wonderful people, uh, wonderful kids and families, um, and people just trying their best to, to get through and get through uh, the day and get through the week like uh, everybody else. 
Yeah, I, I read some materials on your website, and I know at one point you quoted a statistic that I found shocking, and I actually did quite a bit of research to dig it up. Yeah. And, and that is that one in 20 black males can expect to be murdered in their lifetime, mm-hmm. which is shocking. But it's not just the violence. There's all these other challenges. There's, there's drug use yeah. in the neighborhoods. Um, you know, I, I, I was reading other statistics on sexually transmitted diseases. So there's a, there's a sort of a probably, I'm assuming, a higher incidence in some of these neighborhoods of some of these things. So they present multiple challenge to, challenges besides the income levels to the people mm-hmm. living there. But tell us about, you know, you, you've described people in the past as the last time I interviewed you you, you, you called the kids incredible, smart, and wonderful. And, and you know, you, when you talk about them, you were just, you know, beaming with joy. Tell us about these children that you work with. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, they're amazing kids. You know, the, they go to school, you know, uh, from like 8.15 to 3, 3 o'clock every day, and then they come to our program and do extra work and do homework, and then on Tuesdays and Thursdays they do reading and math, um, and we have boys and girls Bible studies on Mondays and Wednesdays. Uh, and so these kids want to come out, and, and they, you know, most of them want to, it's not like their parents are forcing them to come. They want to come. They want to do their homework. They want to have a relationship. They want to uh, learn about God. They want to get extra tutoring help. So I'm just amazed at how, uh, you know, hardworking these kids are, and even after school. And so even though, yeah, they don't have – it's not easy. They don't have an easy life. There's a lot of obstacles. Uh, but you see them just working hard and trying their best and, and o- trying to overcome those challenges. So one of the amazing things that you've been able to see is you started 25 years ago. So you've had people, I, I know we talked about Dwayne the last time we, I, I interviewed you, the people that you've seen for, for 23, 24 years literally grow up, go to college, you know, encounter different problems, go to school, graduate, get married. Uh, what's that like to, to, to be able to be a part of people's lives like that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's full of uh, joy and, and sometimes full of heartbreak as well. And so, yeah, we had we have someone like Dwayne who went off to college and graduated and uh, works at a nonprofit in Maryland, uh, got married to a wonderful Christian, uh, uh, a wonderful believer, and, and he just got ordained as a lay minister at his church. And just just a couple of months ago, bought his first um, condo with his wife and, and, and their family. And so... Uh, and he's had his ups and downs, and, and it's not like life is always easy, but um, you know, he's, he's done remarkably well and has really kept the passion in his faith. Uh, but then also recently, there's a young man who grew up in our program that we knew. Um, you know, he stopped coming in, in, in about seventh grade, and uh, he was recently shot in the, in the neighborhood by, um, uh, by someone else from another neighborhood. And so he's he's fighting to be able to to walk again. Hmm. Um, and so it's it's a lot of a lot of situations like that. There's a there's a lot of highs, but then there's heartbreak and and trying to support and help people who may also be going through a crisis uh, or difficulty um, even after they left their programs. And so we're very relational, so we try to keep in touch with as many uh, of the youth and families as we can. And so there's a lot of highs and lows. And you've got some of the people that have actually come back and now work for you? Yes. So uh, two of our full-time staff were children in our after-school program. And, uh, and now, you know, they're leading uh, our program, two of our program sites and doing amazing things and just 
have such a heart for the communities that they serve and, and really giving back. Um, and so it's wonderful to see homegrown leaders, so to speak, who, uh, who are giving back and, and serving. And, and we also have several part-time staff members who used to be part of our program and, and some who, uh, who are parents that live in the community, many who are adults in the community who are working part-time as well. And so we're, we're very much about building leaders, but also building capacity and, uh, and giving people the opportunity to earn a, a, a well-earned paycheck. And so uh, it's great to be able to, to provide that. So give us some of the updates on the core statistics. I, I know you've served hundreds of children over these years and families. What are the stats, people you serve, people you employ? Tell us about the Clean Green Team. Yeah, so last year we um, served about 200 children. Uh, and we're very much about going deep. We, we don't, we're not about just serving lots of kids for short periods of time. We serve our students like day in and day out for the entire year. Uh, we have summer programs, after-school tutoring. Uh, we have yeah, programs six, usually six days out of the week, as well as one-to-one mentoring on weekends. And so we're very much about going deep. We had about 800 volunteers uh, that came through Little Lights, whether it's one-time or weekly volunteers. Uh, in 2019, we employed eight men uh, from the community uh, for our Clean Green Team, which is our landscaping social enterprise. And so, you know, some of them are returning citizens, so they, they had a criminal record, and it's very difficult for some to find work. And so we um, hired eight, eight men from the community to do the landscaping for, uh, for the Clean Green Team. Um, and so, yeah, so a lot of great things happening. We have five sites uh across those three public housing communities. And, um, and so it's been, uh, it's been amazing to see people change. And we have, you know, we served over 300 adults through our family center. So many different things uh, happening at Little Light. I saw your church a few weeks ago. You were coming out. Your son was playing the band that day. So you were at the uh, George Mason location. And I started, we started getting into it about, uh, you know, the culture of contempt, and I was just, you know, preaching love your enemies. And, and you said some interesting things, you know. Sometimes you said love you know, is not being quiet and just being nice. It's, it's standing up and speaking uh, in the face of injustice. And I, I wanted to kind of just bring that up and, and get you talking on that, get your opinions, because you've, you have really solid experience on crossing a divide and getting into a community you wouldn't normally have been in you know, when you were younger, and you've found a great joy and power in that. Share your thoughts with us on, on the notion of loving your enemies and what that involves. I think, you know, loving your enemies, I, I sort of see as when I read the Bible, it's almost like the Ph.D. of be, being a Christian um, and how difficult it is to truly love your enemies. And it, it really is, a, a, to me, a supernatural um, because it's, it's not natural to be able to love those who hate you, for instance, right? It's not something that comes naturally. It really has to be a supernatural thing. And I think in some ways, you know, even before we can love our enemies, you know, the Bible tells us, like, and commands us to love love the vulnerable among us, love the poor, love the those who are on the margins and who who are like the powerless of society. And um, And so for me, you know, before we can really say we can love our enemies, I think we have to love those who are vulnerable in our midst and uh, vulnerable in our societies, uh, uh, because that's something that God also commands us to do. Um, 
And so, you know, I think when, when we were talking at church, you know, sometimes people talk about just, oh, we should always just be be nice or be civil and be, uh, um, you know, just kind of be nice to each other. And, you know, I think most of the time that's true. We should be civil. We should be polite. Um, but then there are times when we really do have to speak up if there's if there is something we feel to that's unjust or um, or very dangerous to to our society, and so um, and that's you know that takes a lot of wisdom and discernment, um, you know. And and you know one example I can think of is someone like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. That he's somebody who who really felt convicted that he had to fight against segregation, fight against Jim Jim Crow. Um, and wasn't willing to just kind of wait, that he took proactive action. And it was very divisive. Uh, people were very upset when, when he started doing the marches. Uh, uh, people were so upset that it, you know, it caused violence. And, 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 and they were, uh, you know, in Selma, they were beaten up by the police. And, and, and there was a lot of uh, violence uh, as a result of uh, him trying to protest and speak up. And so I, I just don't want us as Christians to sort of mistake being calm or polite as always being loving. Yep. I, I, I'm, I'm wrestling with this because, um, you know, the Scripture, I, I love, love your enemies, uh, do good mm-hmm. to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. Uh, and, and we can actually, you know, do that. We can pray for someone that we you know, summarily disagree with and we're standing up too, and we're and we're mm-hmm. you know, I guess using the word confront, but still praying for them. Yeah. Um, but we're living in crazy times right now, and and I'm wrestling yeah. with this because the scriptures talk about you know, speaking the truth in love, but yes. but speaking the truth, and yeah. and there's a lot of terrible untruth right now. There's 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 I was speaking to a woman today who's writing a book on conflict, and she's been studying this issue for a few years, and yeah, and she says it, it comes from the top down. She talked about difficulties in Congress and how that sort of pushed down into the media and now it's sort of in the general population and it's it's just getting worse and worse and and i'm struggling with you know i I, I, you know i i keep thinking out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks and you'll know a tree by its fruit and what i'm seeing you know politically is really really bad and Mm -hmm. and i feel like it's something we need to to speak out about while while also still loving and praying for people and doing that i mean Mm -hmm. do you agree with that is it uh it's it's ironic you mentioned the violence with uh, dr king there was also mm-hmm. violence on the other side of the, of, of the black community. There were people that wanted to, to use force and, and use violence to get mm-hmm. uh, to accomplish things. And once he was assassinated, you know, bad things broke out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, yeah, a lot of pain. Yeah, a lot of pain and, and, and violence, you know, violence regret because of the amount of pain that, uh, that people were in. Um, yeah, and so I think that's what I think that was so wonderful about Dr. King. He... He was. He never wavered on his commitment to nonviolence, yeah. right? And but he also never wavered on saying, "Hey, we if we just play nice and 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 wait and just try to you know write books or you know then then things will change." You know, he he really had to organize. He had to challenge the status quo, um, and he broke laws. You know, he he was willing to break laws. He was willing to march. He was willing to confront uh, police when it was necessary to uh, get his message of justice. Um, and so, a lot of you know, a lot of people criticized Dr. King of being divisive, of of being impatient, and and um, 
And so I think, you know, it, it's hard. It's, I'm, you know, there's no easy answers. Um, but I'm also, I mean, for me personally, I'm also not one who just says, well, it's always equal on both sides. Both sides are always equally, equally at fault. Um, so I'm not one who's just like, just always makes that blanket statement. Uh, I do feel like we're at a unique time uh, politically compared to, at least in my lifetime. Um, and I do feel like we're in a dangerous place, uh, in a way that I've never experienced before. Um, I mean, personally, as a person of color, I've never, we, I've never had a president who spoke, uh, pretty explicitly in racist tones, um, and it's something I find very frightening and, and scary. Um, and it's something that I've never experienced, you know, living in the United States. So have, you given, so have you given thought and prayer to how to handle that? Or what, what are you doing? Um, yeah, I've definitely thought a lot about it. I mean, I, I, and to be honest with you, you know, even on social media, I'm not on social media a lot, but I have spoken out uh, on social media. I've had conversations with people. And the thing that I've decided to do, because I'm, instead of just complaining, right, um, you know, one thing that at Little Lights even I'm doing is teaching a class called Race Literacy 101 hmm. um, to talk, to, to have constructive discussion about racism and race and what racial ideology is and what, and the history of racial ideology. Because a lot of the angst that we're experiencing, I believe right now, is it, so is it? Yes, it is about politics, but I think it's also about race yeah. and uh, the racial divide, as well as as well as a history of racism that I think as a nation we haven't really confronted and mourned over and grieved over and healed. Yeah. That that a lot of the pain and angst and and anger is is due to the in my mind a lack of healing from past hurts and past oppression that we've tried to sweep under the rug, but the pain and the anger and the mistrust are all still there, as well as there's still racism that we haven't dealt with. And um, to me, that's the root. It's not, the root is not just, hey, if we could just be nice to each other, then we're going to solve all the problems. I feel like it's much deeper than that, and, and it, it's, it's kind of seeping out. And so I've been teaching this class to have discussions uh, not just to to gripe about politics or gripe about uh, politicians, uh, but to for me to to try to help people understand the root of the problem and to try to find ways to heal from the root of the problem. And I feel like Christians should be at the forefront of racial healing, but many times we are we are sometimes lagging behind even non Christians when it comes to dealing with the issues of race. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I, we should be the example. I mean, this, you know, John, our pastor, always says we should be famous for love. Your love for one another will prove to the mm-hmm. world that you are my disciples. We should be famous for unity. We should be famous for humility. And we're yeah. elevating political parties and political people above uh, the true king, <laughs> Jesus Christ, who's going to come back and, and be the only person ever to lead truly justly and with, with perfect love and compassion and truth, I, which I can't wait for. Um, you might want to, sometime too, we had a guest on here who agrees exactly with what you said. His name was uh, Joseph Montville, and he works for the uh, Center of, for Conflict Analysis in George Mason. Oh, okay. Oh, great. And he says yeah. exactly what you said. He says there, there's these wounds that have not been healed in the South mm-hmm. losing the war, and what's happened is and he, these things have lasted for years and years and years. 
yeah. they haven't been addressed. And, yeah. and white America does not you know, step forward and just simply cleanly say, you know, we messed up. Our ancestors messed up. We, we did something terrible. We confess it. We repent of it. And, and we ask your forgiveness. And, and we need to do that. Let, let me switch just a little bit and, and just ask you, because you're, you're very open about uh, your faith and your beliefs and the power of, of grace and Christ and the gospel. Tell us what the gospel is and tell us how it in a, in a practical, real way, influences mm-hmm. the services that you provide in the community? Yeah, I mean, that's a profound question. And, you know, I just actually did a, a, a preached a sermon on this word, on the word gospel, and that the word gospel, back in Jesus' time, when people heard the good news, you know, and today, in, in t- today we hear it almost always as a Christian word when we use the word gospel, that back in Jesus' time, most of, pe- most of the people would have heard it as a, more of a secular word, because it was really good news or the gospel about a king's birth or a king's victory in battle. So people would have, when people heard the word gospel, they would have immediately thought, oh, there's something happening with the king. Something good has happened with the king. And, you know, in our culture, and maybe especially for evangelicals, we sort of associate the gospel with sort of like, here's how you go to heaven after you die. And that's the good news is that we can have eternal life. And that is, you know, certainly a big part of what the gospel is, but the gospel is much bigger than that. That the gospel is about Jesus being the King and the Messiah and the Christ, as well as the Son of God. And also, it is about personal salvation and and, and, uh, uh, being saved from the power of sin and and judgment. Uh, And it's also the gospel, and the way Jesus often used it is, the gospel is a the good news about the coming of the kingdom of God, that there's this new society called the kingdom of God that is coming and that is being birthed right now into creation. And, and Jesus called it the kingdom of God and said, there's this new society, this new kingdom that's coming. Repent and believe the good news. And so to me, that's what the Little Lights is about. It's really about all, all those components of the gospel. It's about uh, Jesus, knowing that Jesus is ultimately the King and, and He is the Son of God, it's also about Jesus saving us and dying for us on the cross so that we can be saved from, from the punishment of sin. And it's about this new kind of uh, community, new kind of society called the Kingdom of God that the Church is supposed to represent. That's about compassion, that's about justice, that's about unity, um, and it's about renewal. And redemption, and and that's what Little Lights is about. Is is we're we're ushering in the kingdom of God into uh, these communities that you know sometimes get ignored and and devalued, and we're telling them God loves you, and in God's eyes and in the eyes of the true King, you're precious, and your community is valuable. Your the people here are valuable, and that's what we try to proclaim all the time. Uh, is that in God, in society's eyes, people in public housing are often ignored and or even hated. To be honest with you, um, but in God's eyes, they're beloved, they're precious, and that's something that we proclaim with our actions as well as our words uh, on a daily basis. Yeah, I, I think I just a notice or an observation from my side, looking at you, I, I see a, a courage and a wisdom that you've developed over these twenty-five years by doing this. I mean, you. When I read the site, you talk about befriending the underserved, and you mentioned the compassion of Jesus. I mean, these things are, are critical. 
Can you give me a, a quick definition of grace for our listeners? <laughs> wow. I mean, to me, you know, simple definition is undeserved love. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's love that we haven't earned. It's love that is undeserved, that, that God's love for us and forgiveness is not something we can earn because we are sinful. We are uh, in bondage to sin, and we have fallen short. And so to me, grace simply is, is that undeserved uh, agape love from God that um, comes only because he, he, God is gracious himself, and he is full of grace. And it's not because we deserved it or earned it or because we're smart or, or successful, uh, but even in our brokenness that God, God loves us unconditionally. What would you like to share with our listeners or challenge them to do or tell them about these people that you work with? What, what's high in your heart? <laughs> wow. I mean, one, I would say, you know, encourage people to look at our website, littlelights.org, to find out more about what we do and see if there's ways that can, they can be involved. Uh, there's information also about the race literacy class that we teach. It's an 11-week class that people can can have these discussions, talk about race, learn more about race in a diverse setting. And part of it is, you know, we need to be relational across racial lines, but we also need to be better educated, um, but also have safe discussions uh, about difficult topics. And so I just encourage people to look at the website and see if they might want to volunteer, get involved, uh, you know, and, and just find out more about Little Lights. But, um, but I believe in the power of the gospel. I believe in the power of the resurrection. Um, but I also, yeah, I believe there's hope, uh, even in the uh, dark times and challenging times, that there's hope because of, of the resurrection of, of Jesus. And so, um, yeah, I just encourage people to check us out. Thank you, Steve, so much for joining us. I, and I want to thank you for the work you, your wife, and everyone at Little Lights does. If listeners, again, as Steve said, want to find out more about his organization, check him out on the web at littlelights.org. Uh, we continue to encourage listeners to contact us at Grayson30 on Twitter or at Grayson30.com with stories about people uh, bridging the political divide. We're inviting people to shine a light on how to behave, not how not to behave, which is way too common these days. A recording of this program uh, can be found on the Grayson30.com and WERA.FM websites, as well as on iTunes and Stitcher. This is Ed and Steve signing off from Grayson30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Have a great night, and be sure to tune into Grace.